Look at that look on your face. <laughs> She's got this gr- Cheshire cat grin. You look like a character from Alice in Wonderland right now. What the hell do you want to talk about today? What is going on inside that brain? <laughs> no, seriously, you have a certain look on your face where you're like, I'm going to drop something on him. I want to know. I want to know. <laughs> Where'd that come from? My computer? Was that my computer? Oh, yeah, yeah I guess so. Oh, well. Hmm. I'm checking the audio levels, though. No. You wanna... Something seems off. Yeah, Profloff seems off. Can you just try talking on yours for a minute? Yeah. Um, I. You know, it's disappointing. Okay, now let me try, try talking just on mine. And let's see if... Well, I guess maybe that's what it's been. It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lauritsen. The topic for this episode is... I can't stop laughing. You're making that face. Well, because you, first of all, you have this look on your face that's like, ooh, he, 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 I'm going to drop a bomb. And then like you, you were like, the topic, like it's, it's the suspense. There's so much. Okay. I'm going to just let you go. It's that I'm trying to be serious about it. And I'm, I really like surprises. You know this. I do too. I I just also feel like you, you love flinging me into situations because you're like, he's good at improv. Let's see what he can do. That's true. That's true. You are. But it's more authentic, I think, when, when it's improvised. That's true. That is true. So that's one of our aims is to not always have everything perfectly lined up and planned. And that's one of our big messages. It's true. So anyways, the topic is how to be friends with your ex. Oh, this is good. This is a topic that elicits a lot of curiosity, and you and I both well know this. Well, first, we should give some context. Spoiler alert? <laughs> or context, or both? I'd say context. Okay. Because a lot of people just assume that you and I are together as a couple, romantically. Yeah, that's a pretty common assumption on social media, and also various restaurants around the Los Angeles area. I think that people just assume because of how much time we spend together that we're romantically involved. Mm-hmm. And it's really fascinating to me how people make that assumption. I think that that is just something that comes up culturally. Yeah. Is that people think that a man and a woman, if they're spending a lot of time together, then they must be romantically involved. Right. So it makes sense, I guess, like from a logical standpoint, there's just still seems like something kind of weird about it to me, though, that people make that assumption. And and one thing that has been an ongoing question from people when they find out that we're not romantically involved is, well, what do people that we're dating think? Mm. That is a right? common question. Yeah. Is like, well, how are you going to find somebody if you two are always together or are the people that you're dating comfortable or uncomfortable with your relationship? Mm-hmm. And so it's a really, I guess it's a unique thing. I would love feedback from anyone listening if you have a similar relationship as Jason and I. And so let me break that down. 
Jason and I did date. There it is. (laughs) We dated from 2012 to maybe 2015 That's correct. Off and on. That's correct. Wasn't a straight shot. No, mostly on. A little bit off. Yeah. Mostly on with a little bit I didn't really keep track, but- I did, because I'm weird like that. (laughs) Really? Oh, yeah. No, I'm- What do you mean? I'm very- This is tangential, because I want to get into the heart of the conversation, but I'm very- My mind, just in keeping dates and timetables, just works that way. See, this is the one of the reasons why we're so close, is that Jason and I are very similar. But I don't- I guess it's interesting to me to hear that you kept track, because- Mm -hmm. I have just a vague idea of it. And sometimes Jason will correct me when I, when people ask, like, how long were we together? I yeah. think you have a different number than I do. So that's always interesting, different people. But anyways, basically what happened from my perspective is that we just have so much love for one another. So when we realized that the romantic side of it wasn't working, we didn't want to just like go back to this. I think what most people do, including myself, a lot of people, when they break up with someone, they barely talk, they barely see each other. Yes. And sometimes it's because they realize they actually didn't have as much in common as they thought. You know, sometimes with relationships, they start off very sexual or very in that rose colored glasses type of state. And then a few months or a few years in, you realize this person isn't for me. Right. Right. And that didn't happen for us is that we just had this bond very quickly. We knew each other before we dated, mainly as acquaintances. We, we don't even remember exactly when we met, but we've had mutual friends and we would see each other at events. And it was just this very organic transition from mm-hmm. acquaintances to friends and then to being romantic partners, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever you want to call it. And then... It was very challenging to end that relationship because we were so close. Jason and I did everything together. We spent so much time together. We started doing a lot of business-related things together. And so that's what I'm curious if you actually know how long it took for us because there was this, I don't know if the term conscious uncoupling would apply to us, but right? But we it took us like at least a year, I feel like, mm-hmm. of very slowly unraveling or shifting and trying to figure it out because we cared so much for each other, right? That's true. It was really tough. Mm -hmm. And I remember very distinctly, we actually both started dating other people or we were interested in other people at like the exact same time. Yes. And I remember it because I met someone, I think, was that 2016? That is correct. Yes, see, Yes, spring, early spring of 2016. This is good. Yeah, or spring, summer. I don't remember exactly what month it was, but but I do remember very clearly. Was was I driving you to the airport or something? We were going to the airport. Correct. Yes, it was. I was driving you, and I was so nervous to tell Jason that I had started dating somebody else. Because the guy that I was dating at that time, it happened really fast. And it was like this zero to 60 type of thing with me and him. And uh, I really wanted to tell Jason because I felt like I couldn't hide it from him. Right. And I was nervous about it. And I spent almost the entire drive to LAX 
It was probably 45 minutes telling him the story. And then Jason started laughing. I don't know. Do you remember this? Mm -hmm. He started laughing towards the end, like right before we got to the airport. And he said, well, actually, (laughs) were you dating? I think I know who it was. We we, we won't name names, but I I can't remember. Or you were just really interested in this person. It was a satellite exploration, but hadn't landed on the planet yet. Mm. We were just collecting samples from the surface, if you will. (laughs) It was an exploratory mission, but I was very much interested in this person. And the timing of it was very serendipitous, how we both had these new people enter our lives. And and to me, that was a a transition point, right? I think it was interesting because it was probably the first time that you and I both had strong feelings. It was like simultaneously, we both realized we were both ready to have feelings for somebody else. Because I remember before that, I just did not feel ready. Mm -hmm. I think that there was this period where we finally were aware that we wanted to date other people, but yet it was like that kind of scary position of like, who's it going to be and how's it going to happen? And, you know, all of this, that kind of like place of unknown. Is that what you would call it? Yeah. And I also just want to loop back to that that moment en route to the airport where um i think the reason that i was laughing so much was not just acknowledging the serendipity of that moment but it was almost a sense of relief mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. oh big time we're both ready and at the same time there was so much love and honor in that moment of the kind of the way we were describing it to each other and i don't know there's a weird thing because i feel like when we let go of something and our hearts start to heal and our minds start to heal. And that moment that we feel like we can open up to a new person again, it's usually done in isolation. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily done in the presence of the person that we broke up with. But I think there's a bond that gets created with certain people, not everyone, but with us, I think that it's clear to me, and, and it was clear even in, in our conscious uncoupling, take that Gwyneth and Chris, we did it first. I don't know if we did it first. I don't know, but I'm just (laughs) conscious uncoupling TM. That there was this acknowledgement of there's still something compelling and interesting about the alchemy of our personalities. And, you know, the magic, right? And we'll, of course, fill in the gaps because people have so many questions and I'm looking forward to digging in deeper. Is that, you know, here we are in this evolution literally years later where we're doing this podcast together, we have the Wellevator brand, we're doing speaking appearances, we're creating, you know, content together, we're, we're really helping to uplift people. And we're, we spent a ton of time together. Yeah. And I mean, I even just recently, because Jason and I spent my birthday together. Yes, it was a fun, it was a great birthday. It was. was My birthday was about a week ago. And I decided to spend it with Jason. And we went on this whole adventure together. And I'm a friend of mine messaged me, and it's just like, without getting into the details of my friend's conversation, I could tell that she was perplexed. Like, why am I spending the whole day with my ex-boyfriend? And I think it's like, even some of my closer friends still feel confused by our relationship, which is really fascinating to me. Okay. I understand this confusion. And it's clear that this confusion extends beyond our friend circle into the general public and fans and people that, you know, we interact with on social media, you know, our our global family, if you will. And I, if I may, I think that the roots of this wit are, you know, we have so much cultural conditioning that 
how we ought to act and how we ought to treat each other when a certain life event happens. And in this case, if we're talking about dating ending, a romantic relationship ending, a partnership, a marriage, whatever it is, that you know, you ought to isolate yourself. You ought to, in some cases, and I think the cultural narrative around this is you cut that other person out of your life. For a lot of people I've talked to, they're like, oh my God, I, I'm not friends with any of my exes. And I asked them why. And they're like, well, I just, it, it's too painful. And I asked mm-hmm. them like, how many years ago was it? And they'll give me whatever, three, four, five years. And I think there's two things at, at bay here is, is the cultural narrative of when you break up, you cut the other person out of your life and you don't engage at all. Like they're, it's kind of like they're dead to you in a weird way, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's a cultural conditioning that we see through movies, through media, through how we've seen our parents and our family do it growing up. But beyond that, you know, talking about people that they say it's too painful, I think that there are not enough healthy resources available for, you know, when people come out of a relationship to heal their heart, to trust again, to let go of any pain and resentment and residual anger they might have for that other person. And don't get me wrong, like without getting into the details of our, our conscious uncoupling, I mean, we, we had moments that were extremely challenging, you know, and there were moments that, you know, I was so ang- I was as angry at you at one point as I've ever been at anyone. No, honestly, yeah. like, like, I know you're, go, like, I, I laugh like, out of like, I laugh because it's like simultaneously uncomfortable, but also just like, sometimes when you look back on painful things from the past, you're, it's kind of like that relief type of thing. Yeah. Like, wow, we got through that. Well, and not, and just that was got, tough. not just got through it, but we can look back on it and there's no charge on it anymore. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that's the other side of this really interesting exploration of this topic, right? Is the cultural conditioning from family, society, media, but then the lack of, I don't want to say resources, but the lack of understanding for people on how to deal with resentment, anger, pain, confusion. Because to me, I think if it's real love, if you have a real bond with someone and it's unconditional love or some semblance of unconditional love, the love will persist. It might, the way you relate to someone changes form right? Okay. So we're not sexual anymore. We're not sleeping together. We're not romantic. But if there's a foundation of respect and love and admiration and beyond it, maybe a mutual purpose or mission in the world to accomplish, why would you abandon that simply because, well, that's just what you're supposed to do. Like mm-hmm. you act like the other person is literally dead to you. And I just think it's, it's a perfect opportunity for us to not only examine this cultural narrative and this conditioning, but deconstruct it and ask, do we have to treat our ex-partners this way all the time? I don't even know if it's just the conditioning. I think it's that a lot of people just haven't experienced it. Experienced what? It's foreign to most people. I don't know if it's- Being friends? Yeah. <laughs> being friends with your exes mm. is that either people just don't know how to deal with their pain like you're saying, you know, Jason and I- are very passionate about healing. And that's why we have this brand Wellevator is that we want to help people elevate their consciousness through wellness. And we see all of these different ways to heal yourself through wellness. And that's something that Jason and I are are practicing very frequently, whether it's meditation or it's yoga or it's spirituality, doing a lot of reading, doing a lot of having very open conversations. These are the things that that Jason and I practice regularly, separately, and together. And I think that really helped us as well, is that we were committed to loving ourselves, and we were committed to loving each other no matter what. 
And I think a lot of people, like you were saying, Jason, they're trying to protect themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Is that they experienced the pain, the disappointment, and they were trying to run away from it. And and one thing that I've learned so much about love is that you can't really run away from that pain. It's either going to heal or it isn't. And if it doesn't heal, it's like you're continuously running and running and running, trying to hide from it, trying to to soothe yourself from it, but it never goes away. And so one thing that I've been thinking a lot about lately is that when I'm feeling heartbreak of any kind, whether it's from something romantic or whether it's just feeling heartbreak from life because life isn't going the way I want it to, or I'm feeling disappointed, I can't run away from it. I have to sit there with it and face it and work through it and see what's going on and why I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling. And sometimes it's just a matter of time. In fact, right before we started recording, Jason and I were talking how about how right now in our lives, we're both working on surrender. Mm, yeah, big time. Because I typically am somebody that wants to be in control or think that I'm in control, even though I never, no one ever really is in control. The illusion right? of control. Right. But again, we've been conditioned into thinking that we can have control. I'm a fixer. I like to be able to find solutions and strategies and all that. And I love that about myself. But I think it's mainly out of comfort. It feels comfortable to me to feel like I'm in control or to try to be in control. So when I feel like I'm doing everything I can and it's still not working out, that's incredibly painful for me. And that's exactly when it's time to surrender to it and just let myself feel all of those emotions and then just not do anything about it. Right? Mm -hmm. I think it's actually a gift when you're trying a ton of things and nothing's working. You can either see that as incredibly frustrating and depressing or you can say that as, you know what, this is giving me an opportunity to let go and to surrender because that's your only option when nothing's working. And uh, I think tying this back into relationships, a lot of people don't know how to communicate with each other. Yep. A lot of people don't know how to share what's in their heart. Yep. A lot of people don't know themselves very well, right? Mm. So they're confused about what they're feeling. They're, they don't know how to say it. They don't know how to control their behavior. And again, this is exactly why this all ties into Wellevator because we don't want anybody to have to go through all of that pain, at least not repetitively. I think many of us go through that in order to figure it out, but we don't want you to go through that for the rest of your life. And I think a lot of people are in so much pain. Their whole lives are some level of suffering mm -hmm. and relationships magnify it relationships are one of the best gifts that we have as human beings to grow because they point out our weaknesses. And I think that's why it's really hard for people to be in relationships is they're afraid of somebody else witnessing their weaknesses. And so when you're in a dynamic, you're either trying to hide your weaknesses mm -hmm. because you don't want anyone to see you because maybe they won't accept you. Yes. Or you do reveal your weaknesses. And then when you get rejected, it's deeply painful, right? Or you reveal your weaknesses and that person accepts it. And then eventually they decide they don't want to be with you anymore. It's so painful to be like, oh my gosh, that person saw all my weaknesses. I don't want them in my life. I'm trying to hide from them because I feel so vulnerable. And I'm sure there are other versions of it, but I think that that can explain a lot of the pain that people feel and the reasons that they want to keep others at, at a distance. Yeah. For me, what, what you just said, Wit, it again goes back to deprogramming ourselves. 
you know, and I talked about the cultural narrative and, and the role that I think media and culture has on us, right? Because these impressions that we take in, these, the mental food from childhood that persists throughout our adult lives has a tremendous impact on our subconscious mind. Here's what I mean. We enter a relationship. We're super excited. We're on fire for somebody. It's, it's going well. We have all those emotions. But we don't realize that for a lot of us, I've done this many times, we enter something where there's a subconscious sense of incompleteness, right? Which is, you know, the, probably one of the most famous scenes is that, that scene in Jerry Maguire where Tom Cruise turns to Renee Zellweger and is like, you complete me. Like, that's the most horrible thing ever. Why is it horrible? Because it's continuing to perpetuate this idea that I need to have another person around to feel a sense of completion within myself. And if you break up, that, does that mean that you're not complete anymore? I think that's the, the subtext here, right? And we think about all the songs, like the quote love songs, right? So many love songs are like, you know, baby, I need you, I need you, I need you, girl. I you can't know, live without you. I can't live without you. My world's done with you. I feel destroyed without you. I mean, think about how many love songs that are beautiful and great songs. But if you really pay attention to the lyrics, you're like, this is codependent desperation. This isn't a love song. This is a codependent desperation song that so many people are living in a state of subconscious codependent desperation and need, an illusion of need, but they call it love. And I think one of the ways that we need to examine, right? And I said this the other day in the blog post, like Plato once said that the unexamined life is not worth living. We have these subconscious drivers when we get into relationship of, I need you, you complete me, my world is done without you. And I think for me, if I may, part of the self-loathing that comes in a breakup is being so angry at ourselves for putting ourselves in a position where we give so much of ourselves over to the other person that we lose our sense of self, we lose our sense of volition, and our, our perhaps you know we're not singing as much, we're not painting, we're giving everything to the relationship. So I think part of that anger and despair when a relationship ends is the self-loathing we feel because we didn't really enter it in a state of wholeness. We didn't really enter it with the right frame of mind. And I think there's something to be said for truly working on ourselves to heal any sense of not enoughness, any sense of incompleteness, any subconscious or conscious drivers that says we have to have somebody in our lives. Because to me, those kind of mindsets do create a, a structure of codependency, the illusion of I need someone. And look, here's the thing. We are social creatures. We thrive in community. We thrive in tribes. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying we don't need community and need other humans. But what I am saying is this sense of desperation and lack and necessity to have someone around is setting up parameters for a toxic kind of relationship. So the question that I'm putting out is, right, and I'm going to put this at you so we can discuss it, is how do we engender a sense of wholeness and completeness within ourselves so that we say, I'm going to meet someone and it's two complete people coming together who know who they are, know their hearts, know what they want, know what they're passionate about. And I think that's very fertile ground to create, hopefully, a sustainable, loving relationship. And I feel like that's challenging to find. <sighs> I mean, yes. <laughs> Look at the state of the world. <laughs> you know, especially yeah. when right now we're in this time where people are meeting each other online and their very first impressions of each other are their best selves. They're seeing the highlight reel. When you go on For Tinder, sure. on Bumble, on Hinge, all these other platforms, OkCupid, Match.com, on and on and on, 
It's somebody showing their best photos where they look perfect or they look their absolute best. And it's someone writing about themselves and the best parts of themselves, right? Yeah. It's a highlight reel. And we know that social media is mainly a highlight reel. And we, we are starting to learn the effects of social media and comparing ourselves to other people. So one thing I'd be very curious to see is any research around the psychological effects of online dating, because you're seeing such a fraction of that person. For me, when I did online dating, one of the most frustrating things is that you can't feel somebody's energy. Yes. Which I'm a big believer in. Yes. There's such a massive difference between texting with somebody, so chatting back and forth through your phone or your computer, versus meeting somebody out and getting a feel for them. And usually that's what happens with online dating is that if you hit it off with somebody online, then you'll go meet in person. But anybody that's done online dating knows what it's like to meet someone in person and realize they're nothing like they thought they were in the chat. God, you are, you always ask me for stories. You know the story I'm talking about. You know damn well the story I'm talking about. Jason has a very good- Oh God. I guess you want to tell it. I I mean, I just- the the what year was that? That was a while ago. That I was like early. That was two thousand one. So that was way before Tinder. Tinder when did that? I'm come an early out? adopter. I'm a way Tinder early adopter. started. I don't know. Maybe I, don't know. I feel like it started. <laughs> I feel like it started to get uh, really big and maybe like two thousand fourteen ish. Thirteen fourteen. Yeah, two thousand thirteen ish was mm. when I, I felt like it was really gaining momentum. Somewhere between 2010. So anyways, 2000, what year was it that you- One. You were really ahead of your time. Man. That was um, when like you didn't want to tell anybody, you didn't want to admit that you were online dating because online dating was really weird, you oh, know? super weird. And it was super lo-fi and the profiles were bad and you had like grainy pictures. So speaking of grainy pictures, I, there was this young lady who was an opera singer and and we were, again, you know, emailing online in the little messenger box in this website and- she lived all the way across the state. I was still living in Michigan. And, and so I drove like four hours across the state to go meet her at a bar to sing karaoke. And when I showed up at the bar, right, I had gotten a ticket on the way, by the way. That's just part of the story I leave out. I'd gotten a speeding ticket in the rain on the way to see her. So I'm already like, oh, God, late, speeding ticket, the whole thing. Come in the bar. And I'm looking around, looking around. And she was like, Jason? She looked completely... <laughs> different from her photos. And look, my whole thing is this. I'm a different person than I was in 2001, okay? And, you know, we have primal things that we are attracted to, physically, pheromones, you know, there are all kinds of factors that, again, you don't get online. They're intangible things, energy, pheromones, a person's vibe. Their voice. Everything. The and way, it was The way that they smell. And it was just like, <laughs> oh God. And I had driven four hours. So what am I going to do? Turn around, drive another four hours home. I was like, all right, I'm just going to, I'm just going to bite the bullet and sing karaoke and do the thing. But what you're saying though, Whitney, about energy is so important. And, and, you know, this idea- Well, you're seeing a complete person. Let me be clear about yes. it. Because I feel like the word energy- some people think that's very woo-woo, woo-woo right. right? What I mean by energy is, or just, it's- Their vibe, dude, it's, their soul. It's how they feel in person and yeah. how they look and how they, it's, when you're talking to someone online, it's only your visuals are being impacted, yes. right? Visually yes. what they're writing to you and visually what photos they're choosing to send you. It's curated. But in, in person, 
you're seeing them as a three-dimensional being and you're all of your senses, like you can hear them, you can smell them, you can feel them. Maybe you won't taste them right away, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, you know what I'm trying to say? What's the fifth sense that I'm missing? Uh, smell, sight, oh, taste, sight. touch. Sight was, we, okay, we already covered sight, but to see somebody in person is very different to see oh, them in photos sure. because again, somebody can edit their photos. They can make their skin look different. They can make their body size look different. They can change it however they want. They could send you old photos. It's also like the cliche of online dating. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I don't even, what was the whole point about talking about I, I this? I think the whole, if I may, I think the whole point is, is this. Oh, I, oh, I know what it was. Oh, Sorry. Okay. Sorry to cut you off. But it was because we were, we were trying to figure out this idea of being a whole person. Yes. We're in this time where when you feel lonely, you can immediately open up an app and stimulate yourself by meeting, quote unquote, meeting people online. So you could sign up for all of these different apps. There's so many now or websites. Go create profiles and all of them and constantly be, quote unquote, meeting people and getting validated by people or getting rejected by them. That They can work the opposite way too. You could have conversations with people. I mean, it's like stimulating this, this primal emotion within us as humans and in a way that we don't usually get in day-to-day life. Because how often do you meet somebody in day-to-day life that you're actually interested in or you know that they're interested in you? These apps are like, this person's interested in you, right? They're telling you immediately. Whereas a lot of the times when you just meet someone out and about, there's that phase where you're like, oh, I don't know. Does this person really into me? Do they like me? And you have to kind of wait and figure it out. Right. Which is exciting, but also can be very, cause a lot of anxiety. Right. Yeah. And I think that we're in this time where it's even more important for us to go into a deeper level with ourselves and our self worth because social media, coming back to that, it's put us in a place where we're constantly comparing ourselves to one another's lives and thinking that somebody else always has it better than us because we're only seeing somebody's highlights. And then with this online dating world, we have this instant access to people that just totally changes our relationships because it's almost like people are disposable too. Mm, mm. In fact, this just happened with a friend of ours without sharing the personal details. Should we share that story or did you want to say something else? No, first? continue. I just have so many. It's worse. <laughs> There's so much. I, I love, I love doing this because like everything she says, I'm like, and this, and this, and this. Yeah. So keep going. Well, I would love you to to help me tell this the story of something our friends going through right now. Yeah, one of our friends, best friends, met somebody. Well, first of all, we. Sh- okay, we'll tell it because it's on topic. No, I want I want to tell it, but I was going to share the detail of who this person is without saying their name, but I, I, that might compromise their. That's true. Th- themselves, so I'm going to leave one part out of it. But just the summary is that this person, our friend met somebody that I had also met at two separate times. I met this person, then our friend went and met this person in a very professional setting. And our friend developed a crush on this person, developed interest in this person. And our friend who's female met this guy and let him know that she was interested in him. And they were texting after meeting each other in person tried to set up some sort of a date. Their communication got all all crazy. And, and long story short, he stood her up. He said he was going to come pick her up 
and take her out for coffee or dinner or something like that. And he never showed up and she never heard from him again. And this just happened within the past few days. And Jason and I find ourselves just so fascinated by this. And I just, these are also, these aren't people in their 20s. These are people in, in their 40s. Yeah. Or at least late 30s. I don't know how old the, the guy is. But right. Meaning that you would almost think that this is something that like teenagers would do, 20-year-olds, like maybe that'd be a little acceptable. But like I feel like once you're past your mid-30s, you're still standing up somebody and, and not having good communication with them. It's very peculiar to me. But it makes me wonder, are we just living in this time where it's okay to do that? It's okay to blow somebody off. It's okay to ghost them. That's become a term over the past five years or so, ghosting, meaning like you're talking to somebody, you feel like everything's going well, and then you don't hear from them ever again, and there's no explanation. Yeah. I, I think this is, again, part of, you talked about going on online dating. And one of the reasons that I stopped online dating is because I felt like I was shopping for a human. Yes. It felt yes. like I was swiping for a car, mm -hmm. or I was swiping for a set of shoes, or on Amazon for people. And mm -hmm. I understand the primal desire for connection in us, but there's a manipulation of us chemically going on. And the manipulation of us chemically is when we're lonely, we do usually one of two things in society the way it's set up right now. We don't face the pain and the loneliness. So we get on and we check Instagram or we get on Tinder, Bumble, Raya, any of the social, you know, the dating apps. And we talked about this ad nauseum on our social platforms. Ironically, that the internet is a dopamine dispenser. It's a dopamine dispenser. And the people and the platforms and the apps that capture the most attention are the most successful digital drug dealers. I call them digital drug dealers because that's what it is. I mean, we know through research, clinical research, that every time you get a like or a comment or a response, you get a little hit of dopamine in your brain. Now, dopamine is important because it's the neurotransmitter that makes us feel good. It's a sense of accomplishment. It's a sense of like, oh man, I'm awesome. I love myself. So we're lonely. We're in pain. We're in heartache. What do we do? We jump on social media. We jump on dating apps because we need that dopamine hit. Yes. Or here's another thing. When people break up, what's the number one food they eat the most of? Chocolate. Chocolate. Now, why? Because chemically, chocolate has something in it called phenylethylamine, which mimics the love molecule in the brain. So we eat a ton of chocolate. Our brain is getting lit up in very similar ways to as we are in love. We're missing love. We're heartbroken. And in some ways, when we're deeply in love and there's a very traumatic breakup, our bodies, our brains are still looking for that chemical fix. Mm -hmm. Chocolate provides that. Yep. So we just have to understand what is motivating our behavior. What's interesting about What's this too is that we live in a time where we have access to so many forms of escape and so many ways that we can make ourselves feel better. Well, right? I don't know about feel. I would say numb. Yeah, well, exactly. Numb but, out. It, but most people think that they're making them feel better. I mean, when you're eating junk food. Right. Most people know overly processed food, fried food, processed sugar food, you know, poor quality chocolate, all of these different things. Most people consider that junk food and they know it's not good for themselves and they'll let themselves indulge a lot when they feel like they're suffering or they're yes. sad. Or if you have some awareness, even I, I do that. I mean, I definitely go through phases where I'll indulge more 
And I know it's because I'm feeling emotionally low and it's it's just a, a easy way to feel better because it it who wants to feel emotionally low, right? But I there are some people that are not even conscious of it. And yes. then I mean, I would guess that a lot of people in our country considering that the US has the highest rates of obesity, we have access to all of these things. These things are cheap and a lot of people don't know how to deal with their emotions. So no, you know, could that be contributing to obesity, right? Is this lack of self-control and I would say a lack of self-awareness. That's a big generalization, but I wouldn't be surprised, right? And we have television, we have movies, and we have apps, we have games. We have, you can look at all of these things that we can turn to to get, as Jason was saying, all of these chemical reactions in our brains. And one of the biggest points of this episode is that we want to encourage you to look beyond those quick fixes and find the things that are more meaningful and deeper for you, even if you feel like you're the only one doing it. And it, it kind of ties back into our relationship between me and Jason is that I think a lot of people view it as like weird. So is it weird because it's against the norm? Are people not staying friends with their exes because they feel like it's not okay? And another example of this is one of my long-term previous boyfriends from probably about 10 years ago, he recently got married and he had sent me an email from a different email account. And he he was basically wanting to connect with me, but he wrote that he didn't think it would be okay if his fiance and now wife saw the emails. And I felt so sad. Actually, that's the second boyfriend that's done that. Another one years ago, I'd done that too. He really wanted to have me in his life as a friend. He would call me when he wasn't around his wife. And I could tell that he was so nervous that she was going to find out that he was talking to me. And so it was interesting from two perspectives is that we were, it was platonic. Both of those scenarios, there was nothing devious going on. There was no cheating. And yet these men still felt like they had to hide it. Mm. So that was Mm. interesting to me. And also it was interesting is, Without knowing the details, I found it really peculiar. Like, why were their wives so concerned about them having a friendship with an ex-girlfriend? What's the big deal? (laughs) Why can't we be friends with one another? You know? Oh, I think like when you say that, it brings up several things to me. It brings up what is the nature of jealousy? And in those type of relationships, with this as an example, is there actual deep trust that's been built? Because I'm of the philosophy that I will take you for your word, right? If you tell me that it's a platonic relationship and it's a friendship and you're hanging out with this person and doing things, first of all, as an individual human being, you have the volition to do whatever you want. So if you were going to cheat, I can't stop you anyway, number one. There's no amount of protection or control or telling you don't hang out with her that's going to stop you from cheating if you really want to cheat. So let's just say that first of all. You can't put somebody in a locker. You can't put them in a dungeon in the basement. You, you can't put a chastity belt on them. Like People will do what they will do. And so that's the first thing to know is that you know, as close as you are with someone, they are always going to do in some form what is in their highest and best interest, whatever they deem that to be. But the deeper layer of that I want to say is, again, that the nature of jealousy and the nature of the lack of solid foundational trust and openness being established and grown in a relationship, right? Like why, 
why are we not teaching people how to do that? Why, why are people not in the practice of building that deep trust of whomever you spend time with, I take you at your word that this is the nature of the relationship and this is what you're going to do and releasing the control of I can control ultimately your thoughts and behaviors. And that's what I would love to talk about too, is that I think we're, we have this weird cultural conditioning of wanting to try to control people. I mean, going back, we said this earlier, I, I am someone that feels comfortable when I feel like I have control. And this is part of me learning more about myself and learning how to best operate in the world is trying to control less. And I think this idea of getting into a relationship or a marriage and that once you're married, these are the rules, Mm -hmm. you know, I think a lot of that has to do with religion. That's just my perspective. I think that there's a lot of, of rules that come about through religion. This is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. This is what a relationship is. This is how you should be sexually or not be sexually. Like there's a lot of different, for lack of a better word, rules, right? Yeah. And a lot of us, because religion is such a huge part of our world, a lot of us feel all sorts of confusion when it comes to our dynamics with other people because of the various rules that are in place. And even if we're not religious or we weren't raised religiously, those rules are still there in our culture. There's shaming that goes on. When, some, when there's any form of cheating in our society, it's blown up in the news, right? I mean, you hear in the tabloids and the media, it's all over so-and-so cheated or so-and-so, are they cheating? And, and there's just so much in our culture that creates this fear that, oh, I should never, I should never do that. Or I need to, you know, there's all this confusion around when it comes to being sexual, like, well, I can only, only be sexual with this person. And I really think it's good for people to make their own choices, but I think you have to go another level deeper and really understand the why behind your choices. Yes. This is where the consciousness comes in is that in your marriages, for example, and I've, I've never been married, so and neither has Jason, so we're both speaking perspectives as as uh, ignorant people. Yeah, I mean, we're I don't know what it. it's like to be married, right? I have friends that are married. My parents are still married, so I have that glimpse into what marriage is like. But from where I stand right now, I think that it's so important to really examine where you stand and why in terms of what those dynamics are going to be. And I think a lot of the times these rules are in place as a form of protection. Yes. But the truth is it's two human beings coming together that have completely different backgrounds and they may have share a lot of things in common. They may share beliefs, but ultimately their minds are different. Even just men and women are very different even if it's two men or two women coming together, they're different people. And so as Jason's saying, you can't control them even though you might want to. And I think something that I've pondered a lot is a lot of times with human beings, the more somebody feels controlled, the more that they want to resist it. Absolutely. The more they want to rebel mm-hmm. or the more that they feel resentful. I mean, it's almost comical how many 
cliches there are about marriage, like the old ball and chain, you know, or <laughs> once you get married, you're never going to have sex again, or, you know, all these different ideas around marriage. And then you just start to wonder, like, why is that that way? Is it because that we're trying to control each other so much? Is it because we're not working to keep the romance alive? I mean, it just becomes this weird thing where people are almost just living out a program. Yeah. No, and that's what I mean about the conditioning, the programs that we ought to put energy and focus on examining the programs that are running us in our lives, what we believe, and whether or not they're actually serving us, whether or not they bring us joy, whether or not they feel in alignment with who we are. And I think ultimately, you know, this is one of the most interesting and challenging and ultimately hopefully rewarding things we can do is the art of human relationship. And one of the things is, if you are a person who is dedicated to growth and evolution and change and you invite it, man, the art of staying together with someone over the course of years or decades as two people that are committed to that, that is an amazing dance. I mean, I'm always in awe and I have several people. The one couple that I can think of right now, I have a mentor in my life, Michael, who you know, and Michael is more of a father to me than any other being I've ever had in my life. You know, he, he's, a, he's a real, he's a deep father figure to me. He's one of the most loving, truly conscious, open-hearted humans I've ever known. And he's been in partnership with his partner for, they just celebrated their 30-year anniversary, you know, and, and I'm always observing- of marriage. Well, of being together. They've been married. Oh. They've been married since 2016. But That's they've, three years. But they've been together 30 Oh, you said three. Oh, okay. okay sorry. So yeah, years. married for three, <laughs> together for 30. And it's something that I'll actively ask them about because I want to know uh, the, the dynamics and the interplay of energies and, and all of the permutations and versions of them that they've experienced of one another. But ultimately, what I see there is a lot of freedom and allowing and honoring in them. As one example of people who've been together for decades who are still happy and connected and joyful, is that there's an allowing of that evolution. There's an allowing of growth. There's an allowing of each person's individuation and unique identity within the container of the partnership, right? So you mentioned like, yeah, how do we have these two people that are completely unique individuals, different minds, different hearts coming together? But this is a balance, right? Of we come together in a unit hopefully with the same intentions and visions and dreams to help co-create that with one another. I mean, that that's my vision for a marriage and a partnership is, okay, you want similar things I do? We might go about it different ways. We might have different passions, but we're going to help each other build this while knowing that we have individual dreams and we have individual hopes and goals and visions. But I think so much we have been conditioned again to sacrifice the individual goals and sacrifice our dreams for the relationship. And I think that is the seat of where a lot of resentment can come in is yeah. when too much of the individual has been given up for the whole. Yes, exactly. Too much. And people lose their themselves as individuals because yes. they are merging so much. There's something really beautiful about that. But yet, I don't know if any of us really want to lose who we are. Mm. Right? I mean, it sounds nice in a romantic theory to merge with somebody, to become one or to become complete. But is that really something we should strive for? I guess if it just organically happens and it feels good, great. But I think that there's this cultural 
mindset of what marriage is that just starts to feel really unclear. And and one thing that's been interesting is there's studies coming out about how millennials are getting married later in their lives and yes. thus the divorce rates are going down. Yes. And I think that that is another huge thing. There's this interesting dynamic for me as I get older is thinking, well, all my friends are getting married and all my friends are having kids and I'm not married and I don't have children. And my mom, you know, really wants that for me. Mm, right. Right. But to me, I only want that to happen if I'm with somebody that I want to spend the rest of my life with, right? So why would I get married just to get married or have a kid just to have kids? If I get to an age where I can't have children, then so be it. Why would I try to force something? I don't want it bad enough just to have it. I feel like from my perspective, I want it to be very organic. I want it to be real. I want it to be rooted. And I also have a major advantage in that I have had so much time single, meaning unmarried. So whether I'm dating somebody or I'm not, I've had so much time to work on myself. I currently live alone and it's so wonderful to just be on my own and make my own decisions every day. And and even though I would like to get married and have children if it's right, I'm just not in a rush to because I want to enjoy this time where I'm fully making my own decisions. And I get to know myself so well that hopefully, if I do get married, that I have a greater sense of self than I would have 10, 15 years ago, mm. which is, you know, some of my friends have 10-year-olds have or their, their children are, are almost 10. And I just think, wow, I can't imagine having a kid that long ago myself, yeah. right? They made that choice. But I also feel like when you get married really young or you have children really young, and you don't fully know yourself, you're getting to know yourself now with other people involved. Right. And I mean, there's great value to that, right? Because I, I do believe that people are great mirrors and reflections for us, showing us maybe sides of ourself that we aren't clearly seeing. And again, that's the value, I think, of connection. That's the value of relationship is, hey, I'm going to shine the light maybe into some of the dark corners of your soul so you can see that more illuminated clearly. I think that is the beauty of consciously choosing or subconsciously choosing the people in our lives. And ultimately, I do think that how I approach any relationship, but in particular romantic relationship, is I know that we are here to help each other grow. I don't know on what levels yet, but I'm trusting now that if someone enters my life and enters my life organically, and someone recently has entered my life, you know this, right? It's this very new exploratory phase, is I'm well aware that she is someone who's committed to working on herself, as am I. How that pans out, what that's going to turn into, how we'll support each other's growth, I have no idea. And sometimes it's not in ways you expect. That's the other thing you talked about surrender. We're going back to like 20, 30 minutes ago. I don't know what it wants to be. You know, so often we get into new relationships and it's like, we're thinking about marriage and we're thinking about forever after and we're thinking about the kids and the farm and the dog and the white picket fence and the all the things, right? But to slow ourselves down and be real about, I don't know what's going to happen 10 minutes from now. I don't know what I'm going to say on this podcast 30 seconds from now. I literally do not know what is going to manifest and be created with this person. All I can do is keep saying yes to the energy that feels good or connections that I feel are full of growth and positivity and maybe some hardcore lessons because 
there's a Bob Marley quote I think of sometimes, and I'm going to butcher this quote, but just bear with me. Something about like, you're going to bleed in life. You just have to like, make sure you're bleeding for the right things. And when I say that, it's like, I know that whomever I am going to choose in my life, there are going to be moments of pain and confusion and me letting her down and her letting me down and moments where we don't know what in the hell we're doing, right? So to go into a new relationship and be like, yes, this feels good. Yes, this feels exciting. There's joy and connection and sensuality and, and playfulness. And if we keep going down this path, there are going to be painful hard moments and to not be in an illusion, right? Especially in the Cinderella phase, the honeymoon phase that like, everything's great. Like, yes, enjoy that, swim in it. But also know if you go down the path with this person, there's going to be pain and confusion and suffering to some degree. But if the love is built and the trust is built, by God, like, can we be there for each other with compassion and understanding through those moments? Because they will be there. I think you just need to pick the right person to bleed with. And I don't mean that in a macabre way. I don't mean that in a morose way. I mean that in a very realistic human relationship way. And I think this idea of the right person, though, is also very tricky because I think society has made it very challenging for us to know what the quote unquote right person is. I mean, that's like another deep thing that we could go into is I feel like some people have this idea of this specific type of human being and the qualities that they're going to have and what they're going to look like. Right. And some people only go after that person. And then they realize later on, oh, this person checked off all the boxes, but they don't feel right. I think that sometimes we end up with people that are completely different than we thought we wanted, but they feel like the right person. I think sometimes it's a matter of the right person right now. Yes. In this moment. Right. You know, speaking as two friends that used to date, you know, our relationship was right for us right then. And now our relationship as friends is right for us right now. Right. And I think it's tricky to figure out what feels right because it's really all about you. And this is exactly why you need to get to know yourself. Because if you're feeling unsure, if you're doubting something, then either that's a sign that it's not right or it's a sign that you just don't know yet because you haven't tuned into yourself to find the answer. In fact, you probably do know deep down, but you're just not having the clarity to know what's right or wrong for you. Yeah. And letting go of all of the cultural beliefs about what's right and what makes the right person and what makes a good relationship and all that. That's really tricky too, because I think as human beings, one of the hardest things is that we grow up in our parents and our family members and our friends and and our teachers and all these other people that we come across. And then we have the media, like we have so many different opinions about life. And again, coming back to religion and all the different ideas that we're taught directly or indirectly through religion. I don't know about most people, but I get very confused, right? It's hard for me to see (laughs) what is right for me until I really start to quiet my mind. And this is one of the big benefits of meditation is that meditation is really one of the greatest tools we have to getting in touch with our true selves and finding that clarity that's Mm -hmm. already there. And I think that as we've touched upon a bit throughout this episode is we're encouraging you to really identify who you are and what you want and the truth of that, not just what society says. Coming back to our friend we mentioned earlier, 
before we got into this podcast, Jason was talking about how a lot of women, especially, but I think this is true for men as well, feel this pressure that they need to get married or have kids by a certain age, right? Will you elaborate and share with them what you were saying to me earlier? Yeah, I, I think that there is this, there's a value assessment that society has placed on being a certain age, it's arbitrary, but that if you aren't coupled or married or with a partner and have kids by a certain age, it's quote, too late for you, <laughs> right? Like, And we see That's this so reinforced absurd. with our families. We see this reinforced in Hollywood. We see this reinforced through so many outlets that, well, you got to do X by a certain age or guess what? Too late. You're done. But I don't even know if this is a female versus a male thing. Certainly to honor the women listeners out there, you know, yes, the biological clock is a real thing. I don't want to get into the pressure of that, but I want to talk about the more macro cultural pressure of if you are a single person, there's something wrong with you. I mean, even, you know, my mom back home, her coworkers and, and some friends will question her like, well, why isn't Jason married yet? You know, he's, he's single and he's handsome and, you know, he, he's got this successful business and he's so charming. Like they rattle off this list of qualities as if he's got all, like me, I have all these things. So what the hell is wrong? Why am I not with someone? And my mom responds respectfully. She's like, because he hasn't found someone yet that he wants to commit in that way to. And he may or he may not. And this is something I've had to really examine with. I want to go off on this for just a second because I realized that, um, and this was actually in a meditation class that we were in uh, like a couple months ago, the breathwork class, mm -hmm. where something came up to me when we were doing this deep breathing that I realized that I was holding on to a belief inside of me that something was wrong with me that I wasn't with somebody, right? Like my self-worth was diminished as a being. Here's what it is. Here was it. What, my level of lovability, how lovable am I, was validated by being with someone in the sense of mm -hmm. if someone is by my side and I have someone to sleep with, to you know, be in a relationship with to date, that's validation of me being lovable. And the lack of someone there means that I'm not a lovable person. Oh my God. When that realization came, I was like, how long have I been holding on to this? How, how many years have I been walking around thinking that if I'm not with somebody, I'm not lovable? That was painful for me to realize. But my God, what a gift too, in the sense that, great. So then since I am on my own, how can I validate my own loveliness without having to be with someone or the evidence of someone there to validate? Like I'm, I know I'm a lovable person. Like I like spending time with me. I've begun to really, really like spending time by myself. And that is one of the, the best things. One, one thing that I like to do with in kind of like anchoring this lovability for myself is take myself on dates. Mm -hmm. I'll take myself to the movies. I'll take myself on a hike. I'll go out for, you know, whatever, a, a ride in the car or motorcycle or whatever it is. And it's like, I really love doing this for me. And I think to practice that, for all of us to practice consciously taking ourselves on dates and loving ourselves, and we are the ones that get to say wh whether we're lovable or not. The evidence doesn't need to come from outside of ourselves. And that was such a tremendous thing that I learned and that I've been practicing hardcore this year. And Just loving myself of, up. That's one of the biggest benefits to our friendship and friendship in general. But I think to come back around to the original 
topic is to have a relationship with somebody that you were once very romantically involved with is that Jason and I have love for each other that's incredibly strong. And it's actually rare, I think, for men and women that haven't dated to have a friendship like this. Maybe even, I don't know if I want to use the word impossible, but I don't know if Jason and I could have very consciously had this loving, deep friendship without dating first. Mm. Because, you know, you have sexual tension with people that you, (laughs) you know, a lot of things happen in friendships between men and women. And maybe that's why people find it so confusing is that (laughs) if you've ever tried to be friends with somebody of the opposite sex or or somebody that you're attracted to, again, um, if you're attracted to the same sex, same thing can be true is, is there's this idea of, oh, like, I kind of have feelings for this person, but I don't want to tell them because we're just friends. Right. Maybe they don't feel the same way about me. But Jason and I have already gone through that stage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we dated and we know what that's like. And then we found love and that love became a, a love of friendship, a friendship love. Mm-hmm. And so, A, we kind of worked through all of those things that some people never do as friends. And B, that deep love that we have is so wonderful because I can have experiences with Jason that are very similar to experiences I would have in a romantic relationship, meaning like everything but (laughs) the sexual side of it. But Jason and I do things that a lot of people would think that they'd only do with a boyfriend and girlfriend or a husband and wife or husband, wife, etc. And that's really special because to Jason's point, you can take yourself out on dates And Jason and I as friends go out and do date-like things together. Like Mm -hmm. tomorrow we're going to the movies together. Mm -hmm. And I could do that alone, but it's really nice to do it with Jason. And it doesn't have to be somebody that I'm dating. Yes. And that's such a gift too, to have someone that you're close enough with. And it's just a different dynamic. I mean, to me, it doesn't matter what gender Jason is. Like I just look at him as a friend. I think that a lot of women would have this dynamic only with other females. But I'm very fortunate to be able to have that with a male because Jason's perspective on life as a man are very different than my female friend's perspectives, Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. And so he and I can have these really open-hearted conversations with one another. We can get perspectives on things. We can introduce each other to people that we're dating to see what the other one thinks. (laughs) And, you know, there's all these really great benefits because we have each other's best interests in mind. Exactly. And so it's almost like a lot of times Jason and I refer to to our dynamic as more like brother and sister or something. Oh, for sure. Especially the moments where, you know, we disagree and we, <laughs> it gets a little heated. Yeah. I mean, it's very much like, you know, it's very much like family, I think. Or an th- old married couple, whatever you want to view it. <laughs> I mean, but but it's family. Like it's it's definitely like there's a level of comfort and familiarity where it's like, okay, this person is family to me. And there's a point in life where I think we have our blood family, certainly, but then we have our chosen family and the people that we consciously, intentionally choose that we know we don't have to have in our lives, but I'm making a conscious, intentional choice over and over to choose this person in my life because there's a depth and a love. And yes, there are moments of disagreement. Yes, there are moments where you know things get heated and tense, but if the foundation of love and respect is there, you work through those moments. And I think that goes back again to the original point of like, well, how do you date your ex? Date think, your ex. Uh, I'm sorry, not date. Um, how do you have a friendship with your ex? I think it comes down to the intention of 
what you want to create with that person. And I think it also really depends on the energy that's cultivated over the course of the relationship. You know, I, I think that for a lot of people who don't have their ex-partners in their lives, perhaps it's because they entered the relationship out of desperation, out of pure lust, out of having this person fill an illusory hole in their lives out of lack. And right? coming and- back to validation too, which I thought was such a a big thing. A lot of people, I think, get into relationships or any sort of romantic dynamic for validation. Validation. I mean, how cliche is it to have like, you know, the pretty young thing or the handsome dude on your arm and like, I'm going to parade this person around. I mean, it's as cliche in our culture as the day is long. Or just looking to sleep with all these random people. It's like you're addicted to a new person finding you desirable, but you don't actually want to commit to any of them or have anything deep with them. And this is not a matter of right or wrong. Not at all. We're not trying to judge anybody's choices. We're just encouraging you to really get to the root of it because as we said earlier, we live in this time where it's very culturally acceptable to find ways to escape our pain. Yes. And I think that that desire for external validation is looking for somebody else to tell us that we are good enough. Yes. And I think that actually really makes it challenging in relationships when you don't feel good enough and you're hoping that somebody else will remind you that you're good enough. And that can be wonderful. I mean, it's great to have someone tell you that you're good enough, but we all know what it's like for someone to compliment us or to or to say something nice about us and we don't really believe it. It's only going to feel good when we give ourselves that validation when it's an internal thing. And I feel like if you can get to that point, then you're setting yourself up for massive success. When Jason was talking about being complete, I think being complete is, is really accepting and loving yourself deeply. And actually, I'm, I'm getting almost like butterflies right now because it's reminding me of this book that I'm reading right that, um, gosh, what's the title of this book? I'm going to pull it up on my Kindle. It is, there are so many phenomenal quotes in here. And I feel like Jason had something that he wanted to say. So you can say it while I'm pulling up the the quote in the title. Yeah. I think that what came up for me in terms of seeing people clearly and entering relationships with the right frame of mind, whatever it is, is about reality versus expectations. And our good friend, Kyle Cease, shout out to Kyle if you're listening, brother, said in one of his wonderful live talks, he was coaching someone through a hard moment, said, they didn't break your heart, they broke your expectations. You just read my mind, by the way, because this is actually one of the core points in the book. Yeah. And, <laughs> I and, love that. And, See, and, this is what happens when, when you have a really deep friendship with somebody. <laughs> Jason and I are very in sync mentally. The minds wonderful. are synced up. <laughs> um, but this thing, and I'll let you take it off with, that you're bringing it up, is when you enter something with the mindset of what can I get from this person? or only seeing the things you want to see and not seeing the full picture of who that being is, you know, the light and the dark, the beauty, the flaws, accepting and loving all of it, truly striving to unconditionally love that person. If you come into it with assumptions and you come into it with expectations and trying to get something, well, it's no wonder you feel devastated. And I've felt this way many times, having to really take full responsibility for entering things with an expectation of how long it was going to last or what it was going to turn into or what this person was going to give to me, how they were going to satisfy me sexually or how good they were going to look on my arm. I'm saying this because I've entered into relationships with this mindset full of expectations, full of assumptions, not communicating clearly, 
not thinking about what I could give or how I could support and uplift this person or grow something together. It was all, all about getting you know, my needs met. In the introduction. <laughs> that was... It, and now started, I will be speaking the in... The audiobook started In playing. audiobook voice for the rest of this podcast. <laughs> I think it's important that you manage your expectations and that you go into relationships with, honestly, with an open heart and not knowing what's going to happen, but trusting the feeling, trusting your intuition and knowing that like anything in life, there are no guarantees and it requires a hell of a lot of courage to jump into something and give your all to it. And I think one of the reasons that a lot of relationships don't work out is because we half-ass them. We half-ass them because we're afraid if we put our whole ass into them, our whole being, and it doesn't work out, we're afraid of the devastation. We're afraid of, oh my God, I got to pick up the pieces again. But the irony, right, is that if we don't put our whole selves into it, we're never going to experience the fullness and the glory and the magnitude of what it could be. So we play safe, we hold ourselves back, we half-ass things, we don't show people who we are, and then we wonder why it doesn't work out. It's kind of insanity. And if you see this as a pattern, and right now you're nodding your head, you know, it's like the Einstein quote, the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. So if anything that this podcast is, I hope, you know, you're gleaning from this or giving you perspective, it's to enter relationships and look at relationships with a different frame, to ask ourselves what our true intentions are, to think about what subconscious belief systems continue to motivate patterns of why do my relationships keep ending up in the same way? So we have to become different. We have to examine our lives and our belief systems and what's truly motivating our behavior if we want different results. Can't guarantee results, but if the input is different and the program is different, what shows up and who shows up will likely be different. Well said. Thank you. <laughs> That's so a good rant. That was a healthy rant. That was a good rant, and it gave me time to pull up this book. So for context, I am an avid reader. I, I turn to books for not only knowledge and understanding, but also to feel like I'm not alone to soothe myself a lot of times. And that was one of the big reasons I picked up this book. And I was, it was just like exactly what I was looking for. So I also tend to prefer reading books on Kindle because then I can store all my highlights and access them quickly. And I have a bunch that I want to share. So I'm going to give you some of my favorite quotes from this book I'm reading called Love Hurts by, I hope I'm going to say his name right, Lodro Rinsler. I'm looking at Jason, but I, I don't know if you know who this person I've is. I've read one of his books that he yes. co-authored with a previous partner of yes. his, actually. Yes, I was thinking about That's one of my favorite books. I probably have it right here on my shelf. It's called How to Love Yourself and Sometimes Other People. Amazing book. It's phenomenal. I mean, if there were going to be a, a resource to give you, that would be it. And also Love Hurts. We'll put it in the show notes. Yes, we will for sure. And he's written several books. In fact, Lodro specializes in meditation. That's his big passion. And that's the root of all of his advice, a very Buddhist perspective. And I wanted to read to you some of my favorite parts from that book. I have not finished it yet, but he says, true love is the natural energy of our settled mind. The more we are able to settle our mind in meditation or through other means, the more likely we'll be able to touch the love that exists right underneath that set of armor. Mm. 
My personal definition of a loving relationship is one where two people are able to stand shoulder to shoulder together to meet the many discomforts life presents them. One of his big points in this book is related to what Jason was saying and and referencing Kyle Cease. He says the heartbreak is based in feeling the things that should be one way and becoming disappointed to learn that they were another. It's not the heart that breaks, it's the ego. Mm-hmm. For love to last, it is best not to have too many expectations. It is better just to offer love. There are many people out there who are very, very confused. That does not mean that underneath their various layers of confusion, neurosis, and pain, that they aren't basically good. Love doesn't always have to be reciprocated. We can just love. If love doesn't come back to you, it is still love that you give and that you feel. Instead of trying to find love outside of yourself, please just see if you can drop right below the surface of your pain and feel the love that still exists. Beautiful. It's a beautiful book. And it's actually really cool because it's organized into different sections based on different things you're going on in your life. And he encourages you not to read it all the way through, although that's what I'm doing because I love this book so much. It's actually there to be a resource for various points in your life when you're feeling heartbreak, whether it's related to romance or other forms of heartbreak. And just this idea of expectations has really been in my head so much since I started reading this book and wondering how I can work on expecting less. And that I feel like is my big challenge at the moment. And I think Something that a lot of people don't practice is we get into this place where we're expecting something, and then if it doesn't go the way that we expect it, we're heartbroken. And if you really sit there and think about it, you'll realize that that usually is why we feel pain, is that we wanted a specific outcome and it didn't happen. Right. And a lot of us have not learned how to handle it. It's almost like we're reverting back to the little kid that doesn't get its way and throws a tenter tantrum. Is that, I was is just that about to say that. Is it tenter tantrum? Temper. Temper. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, it's funny you mentioned the childlike mind because one of Michael's favorite quotes, my mentor, is most of us are children in adult bodies with technical educations. <laughs> and it's true. You know, there's so many unexamined subconscious wounds from childhood that we are still acting out as adults that we don't fully understand. And I think this is one of them, right? Because if you, if you were, you know, praised constantly as a child, no matter what you did, and as you go into life and you build a business, you're an entrepreneur, you put your heart out there, you're looking for romance, you realize that you will not be praised for every single thing you do. You will be rejected. You will be turned away. You will be met with working months or years on a project or a business and not having the kind of sales or response or outcome that you had intended. And it brings up a a Winston Churchill quote for me, which is one of my favorite quotes, which is the definition of success is moving from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. So as we put our hearts out there, as we trust again, as we muster the courage and the will and the openness to engage and offer our love, as we build our businesses, as we do anything with love and courage, We need to understand that there are no guarantees and that 
The love we put out may not be returned to us, but that doesn't need to prevent us from putting the love out into the world. That doesn't need to prevent us from offering our creative gifts. That doesn't need to prevent us from saying, hey, there are going to be moments when I need to put myself in a cocoon and heal. But if I can come out on the other side of it with my heart still open, wiser, more loving, and willing to continue, I think that's some of the greatest work we can do here on this planet, my God, is to heal and have the courage and the wherewithal to keep going and not shut down, to not shut down. And to be more present in life. Take it day by day, moment by moment, because we have no idea what's going to happen in the next moment. Absolutely. And coming back to this idea of control, we we have a culture of, of giving us all these different ways that we can control our lives. But we actually don't have control because there's, there's too many factors going on in life that can impact the next thing that happens to us. And as you said earlier, when it comes to relationships with other people, you're not the same person. So different things are going to happen to you that have a ripple effect and then it'll affect your relationship at some point. And so you really can't control a relationship. Nope. You can't predict somebody's feelings. Some people may fall out of love and then they're either going to make the choice to recommit to love, give it time or abandon it. There are people that you will break up with and you will get back together with in the future. There are people that you will break up with and you will never hear from. I've had a boyfriend, an ex-boyfriend pass away that completely unexpected, right? I mean, I and I'll never talk to that person again. And so I never saw that coming by the way. I mean, what an example there of just thinking that I would kind of having this assumption that that person would be in my life as a friend or an acquaintance, whatever. And suddenly that person is just not there anymore. I want to say this because you sparked something. The moment that we assume that someone is going to just be there forever, I think is the start of when we start taking that person for granted. Mm -hmm. Because there are, are no guarantees. We have no idea what's coming. And if there's an assumption like, they'll just be around, this is my forever person, we don't know shit. <laughs> we don't. We act like we know shit, right? Why? Well, we have technical educations and we build Teslas and iPhones and send people to the moon. When it comes to matters of the heart and it comes to being able to predict what's going to happen, we simply don't know. So to be honest and more honest about our engagement with reality here, we don't know how long someone's going to be with us. We don't know how much longer we have on this planet. We don't know when we're going to die. We don't know. We just don't know. And I think just being alive is a visceral experience of courageousness where we keep taking one more step and one more breath and one more moment, not knowing what's coming for us. That reminds me too of that beautiful Instagram post by Elizabeth Gilbert, who's the author of Eat, Pray, Love. The most recent one. It's so oh beautiful. Oh my gosh. I was crying. I was crying the other day because it's so beautiful. It's so I'm gonna beautiful. I'm going to pull it up right now because it's so I want to read it. Yeah. She if you guys just... don't know Elizabeth Gilbert, okay, Eat, Pray, Love, yes. Big Magic is an amazing book. Amazing book. I think maybe we will be talking about creativity at some point on this podcast. I think we will because it's such a juicy topic. But yeah, are you pulling it up to read yeah. it? It's so wonderful. And she's you want to really give some context too? Yeah, she's, she fascinates me. She inspires me. She's just one of those people I feel so much love for. And yeah, she's just, she's an incredible human being. She wrote the, the book, Eat, Pray, Love, which many people have read, including myself. And 
It was about her journey to find herself, basically. So again, another great resource. And if you, I think, feel like that's the type of book you could read multiple times because it's going to speak to you differently in each different stage of your life. So now I'm feeling inspired to read it again. It's been at least a few years. And in the book, she goes through a breakup and she goes to different countries and then she meets a man that she ends up marrying. And the book is based on her life. And then I would say about three years ago, my estimate as of the time of this recording, so I would say somewhere maybe 2015, 2016, she announced on her social media that she was in love with a woman. And it was fascinating. And then she spent the past few years talking about this relationship. And spoiler alert, this woman passed away. So this woman was her friend. And I can't remember if she was still, if Elizabeth was still married and then got a divorce and then started dating this woman. I can't remember all those details. They don't really matter. But for the past few years since this woman passed away, Elizabeth posts regularly about the process of losing someone that you deeply love. And then another spoiler alert, just, uh, let's see, when it, this was three days ago, she announced that she is now in love with somebody else and it's a man. And again, I found myself feeling so in awe of this, what an incredible life story. You know, she, at first I thought, okay, well, maybe she's realized that she is lesbian, but maybe she's been bisexual this whole time, or maybe she has no label for it. I don't even know if she's ever even used the word lesbian, right? And in fact, this post, which is quite long, so let me see if I can give you the little summary. She said, it's a beautiful spring day in my corner of the world. Life is everywhere bursting forth with a sense of rebirth and renewal. And this seems like as good a mo- as a moment as any to tell you that I'm in love. Please meet my sweetheart, Simon. She goes on to talk about him and how they were friends and how they found their way into each other's arms. And she wanted to share the news publicly despite the fact that their love story is so new and young and tender, which is just so sweet, how vulnerable, right, for her to just share this stage of her life, even though it's she doesn't know how long it's going to last, right? I thought that was just so brave. And she basically just wanted people to know what was happening. And she's always going to share something personal about her life. And then this is the part that I think is really helpful to read. If you have lost a loved one to death and you thought you'd never love again, but you are feeling a pull of attraction towards someone new and you're not sure if that's okay, let me normalize it for you. Let me say it's okay. Your heart is a giant cathedral. Let it open. Let it love. Do not let your gorgeous loyalty to the deceased stop you from experiencing the marvels and terrors of your short, mortal, precious life. It's okay to live and to love. Or, if you are falling in love in middle age and it's terrifying because you feel just as dumb and crazy and excited and insecure as you did at 16, well, let me normalize this for you. It's okay. You will always feel 16 when you are falling in love. Or, if you once loved a man and then you loved a woman and then you loved a man and you're wondering if that's okay, well, darling, let me normalize that for you. It's okay. Love who you love. It's all okay. And it's all impossible to control. And it's an adventure that I would not miss. 
I mean, that kind of summarizes a lot of the things that we've said today, and we didn't even a, plan on reading that. <laughs> that, that. That feels like a wonderful cap on this episode, honestly. Yes. And, and it's that this exploration of love is perhaps the greatest exploration of our human species, right? It's, it's this capacity to explore our hearts, to heal, to try again, to open, to close. I mean, everything we've covered, it's, it's, this is the thing that they've written the greatest books and the greatest songs about throughout history. And here we are, you know, through generations and generations and generations, still exploring this, still talking about it, still examining our hearts and what love means. And I think it's just beautiful. I think this is a wonderful episode. I'm glad you surprised me with it. <laughs> it's been great. <laughs> well, I like surprise. That brings me joy is to surprise people. And I feel like this is the big message here is that it's all okay. It's okay to be friends with your ex. It's okay to be confused. It's okay to want validation. It's okay to explore how to feel your best. It's okay to not have rules. It's okay to break the rules. I mean, really, it's all okay. And the more that you open yourself up to the possibilities in life, the more freedom you will feel and the more love that you can feel. And I think the core of what we're saying is here is, is we want to encourage you to love, period, whatever that means for you. And feel all different forms of love, love for your family members, love for your parents and your children and your siblings, if you have them, love for your friends and love for your ex-relationships, ex-partners, and love for the partner that you have right now and love for yourself ultimately. Mm -hmm. And I think the more that we can follow the feelings of love and identify that true love the more that life tends to flow with ease and grace. Whereas a lot of the times the pain and the suffering that we're feeling is really just that we're out of touch with love or we're out of sync with it or we're trying to hide from love. We're trying to shield ourselves. In fact, they say that the opposite of love is fear. So the opposite of fear is also love. So if you're feeling pain, that's usually because you're in a fear state and the ultimate way to heal that pain is to tap into the love, whatever that means for you. Easier said than done, but this is all a practice. That's what wellness is. Wellness is about practicing every single day, every single moment, doing whatever you can to deeply love yourself and everything that you experience in the world. So yeah, we are going to be here with more resources on the podcast for you, examining all aspects of what it means to be human here, what it means to be healthy and well and balanced and loving on this planet. And we're just so excited to be on this journey with you as we practice and we experiment and we share all of our resources in this global community. Thanks for being with us. We adore you. We appreciate you. And we'll be back with more goodies soon. And speaking of resources, everything that we talked about, the books and the quotes and Whatever else we mentioned that we're forgetting at the moment will be linked in the resource section at wellevator.com. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.
Thank you.